I just want to say a few things and then we're going to pray and then we're going to go and have that glorious moment of baptizing uh, a new sister and others in Christ. If you've been with us over previous weeks, um, you'll know that we've been looking at one of Jesus's closest lieutenants, John the disciple. He wrote one of the gospels and he wrote three letters to the early church 2000 years ago. And we've been working through one of those letters, um, just learning about Jesus, learning about his love, learning about what it means to be family uh, together. And um, this morning, we're actually going to have a pause from that, kind of, because I wanted to just summarize a bit of, a bit of really what's underneath all of that. And what's underneath all of that is what we've just heard from Emily. It's the reality of the person of Jesus. And Jesus, I believe, is asking all of us this question this morning. Who am I to you? I think Jesus is amongst us by his spirit, not physically as we are, but just as real by his Holy Spirit. And Jesus, I believe this morning, is asking each of us, who am I to you? Who am I to you? We can all come to this beautiful church, be led in such glorious worship by this guy. Rejoice with one another when we see all the, all the stuff. But underneath everything, underneath all that we are and all that we do, is the crucial question for each of us personally. Who is Jesus to us? Jesus is literally saying, who am I to you? Think about it. You know, if I was standing outside of my body, Here's James looking in, saying, who is Jesus to this guy? And it's a question that he asked lots of people, but he particularly asked another of his closest lieutenants, Peter, 2,000 years ago. He said, who do you say that I am? I feel like at this time, in where we are as the church, Jesus is turning it up even beyond our words to our thoughts, to our hearts, to our motivations, to who we are in our very core. And he's saying, who am I to you? And how people answered Jesus 2,000 years ago varied a great deal. Some thought he was an incredible prophet. Some assumed he had teaching like no other. He was a, a great and profound spiritual teacher. Some transferred their own agendas onto him and followed him because of the benefits he would bring, which to some of them meant kick the Romans out of Israel Let's establish military conquest. 
Let's have the reality of your kingdom here on earth. Lots of them transferred all of their stuff onto him. Wonder what we put onto him. Some of us here might say he's rescued us. Some of us might say he's our closest friend. Some of us might say, I'm not quite sure. We might say many, many different things. And the Bible says that there's coming a point in the future where everybody will respond in the same way. When Jesus says, who am I to you? Who do you say that I am? The Bible says in another book 2,000 years ago, written to the early church called Philippians, chapter 2, verse 11. It says there'll come a day where every knee will bow and every tongue will confess on earth, in the heavens above, and even under the earth, which is every demonic spirit, every power of darkness, and all those tongues will say the same thing. When Jesus says, who am I to you? Every tongue will say, you are Lord. Jesus Christ is Lord. And because we hang around church, we'll often say, the Lord this, the Lord that, the Lord this. But what that meant 2,000 years ago was brought starkly home because there was one person in the Roman Empire who was Lord at that time. And that was Caesar, who would be known as the Son of God and who would be revered and called Lord. And what Jesus was subversively teaching and what those who followed him were controversially saying is, no, 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 no. This man from Nazareth, born to a virgin, lived till about the age of 33 and a half. He is God. He is Lord. And to say Jesus Christ is Lord means if someone was looking into my life, to really mean that he's Lord and God would mean that every ounce of my being was lived as a, as a kind of worship thrown from who I am to him. Every thought that I have, every word that I speak, every priority that I set, how I spend my time, how I relax, how I make my decisions, every single part of me is not is, is, does not have me as the master of my life, but is lived to say, you are Lord. Every part of me. And why would we do that? Why would we do that? We do it in response to who he is. I had a dream some time ago and in the dream it was like I'd been brought back into Bible times but into Bible times on the night before Jesus was crucified. 
But in this dream, I was like Jesus in, in the sense of I'd been arrested. And in this dream, I was led to this uh, chamber where a, a court was meeting to decide whether I was innocent or guilty. And in this court, they were chanting so loudly, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. And the prosecutor stood up and gave all the evidence that demonstrated that I deserved to be crucified. I've broken God's laws. I've sinned against my fellow human beings. I've not loved God or people as I should. I've had secret thoughts that were not right and all of that. And they laid out all these things. And then the prosecutor brought this and the person overseeing the court condemned me to death. And I was led away, just as Jesus was. Hands bound, led into... Uh, almost like a, an open prison in the middle of the city and gathered round were thousands of people. It was night, carrying burning torches, chanting, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. So loudly, it was like the whole city was shaking. And I, just a rising terror just filled me in this dream. I was like, there is no way out of this. A terror just, just gripped me. And then as, as they're sort of chanting, crucify him, crucify him, suddenly the crowd stepped back. And this man walked through, gleaming white. And in this sort of open prison cell, he came up to the door with a key, and he unlocked it, and he unbound my hands, he stretched out his hand to mine, grabbed my hand, and led me through the crowd. The crowd was shouting, crucify him, crucify him. But they didn't dare touch me because this gleaming white man was leading me through them. He led me through thousands of people just chanting, chanting, chanting through the city of Jerusalem until we left the city and we, we went to the Mount of Olives opposite Jerusalem he didn't say a word but he just led me through and we got to this this hillside overlooking the city and he turned he looked straight back at me loved me and then he turned on his heel and went back to the city and I knew he was returning to be the one that the that the crowd were baying for to be crucified in my stead. As he turned, it was this kind of look of love, but also just a sorrow, like intense love and just a sorrow. And he walked back to Jerusalem and I knew that he would be executed in my place. Now, one of the things that our culture, one of the things that our culture would tell you and I is that we have no need of God. And it's a lie. 
And it's because in this particular moment in British history, as a society, we're doing our best efforts to live without God. And if you remove God from the equation, then we have no need and no way of finding forgiveness, of finding deliverance, of finding freedom, of finding salvation. And one of the lies told in our society today is that if you do really well, if you're a really good person, I'm sure it will be okay at the end. It's just not true. Because if Jesus really is real, then we want to believe what he said. And one of the things Jesus said is that I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. He didn't say, do your, do your level best to be the best neighbor you can. Love your neighbor as yourself and that will be enough. He didn't say, you know, I'm sure God will understand at the end if you've been a good person. And I just know, I'm trying my best to be a good person, but I am not. If I was next to the very radiance of light and life itself, God, oh my goodness, that would be like drawing near to the sun and exposing all my imperfections. I'd probably perish immediately. I'm not that good. And there's some lovely people in this room. I mean, you're really lovely. <laughs> but the Bible says that all have fallen short of the glory of God. All have fallen short of the radiance of pure, holy light itself. But Jesus said, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Now that's a sort of negative way of putting it. Turn it the other way. Everyone comes to the Father. Not through being good. Not through treating Jesus as a helper. But through recognizing that he laid down his life for you. And for you. And for me. And when he was killed... Simply by believing in that, he becomes the substitute in my place. And the forgiveness that we've been singing about, being washed white as snow. How precious is that flow that comes and covers my life. And makes up for every deficit that I may carry in my life before God in the reading we heard that God's son Jesus had become the atoning sacrifice for our sins that means whatever debt I owe Jesus was enough Jesus was enough and some of us here may look really good but have some terrible debts that we owe God and some of us here may look really good but have a few debts that they owe God. Whatever it is, Jesus has paid enough. 
And there's a hymn writer who wrote a hymn having, the, the old hymn is called, When I Survey the Wondrous Cross. When I engage with what happened 2,000 years ago, when I survey what Jesus did, when I survey that he led me out of the time of execution and gave his own life, he wrote this, I see a love so amazing, so divine, it demands my soul, my life, my all. And that's what it means to say, Jesus Christ, you are Lord. You are Lord in response to your love for me. I don't quite know why you love me, but you love me enough to lay down your life for me. In response to that, I say, oh my, oh, I can't even comprehend it. Your love is so amazing, so divine. That it simply invites, not my physical death, but my spiritual death. The laying down of my life that you would receive from me. My tongue, my attitude, my heart, my intentions that say, Jesus Christ is my Lord forever and ever and ever. And that, I think, is what he is doing in our church. And I don't know the churches you go to, Stevie. Um, I think he is bringing us to a pure, abandoned, deep surrender to Jesus being our Lord. To know him. To simply know him by surrendering our lives and giving him everything. The world has too much pain and darkness and too much of the presence of hell in it. For Jesus to be an add-on at the start of my day or a Sunday. We can all go through the motions, can't we? But to literally engage our hearts and say, Jesus, you are wonderful. Jesus, you are lovely. Jesus, you are so splendid. Jesus, you are beautiful. Jesus, you are strong and kind and holy. And you are my God and you are Lord of all. I want to say that, don't you? Hmm. So I would just like to ask anybody here who has not made Jesus Christ their Lord, in a moment I'm going to ask you to stand up. That's embarrassing because... Um, we fear everybody looking at us and thinking, oh yeah, you know, all of that. But it's not really embarrassing, because here we are in church, and I've told you, everyone's so lovely. <laughs> but I don't want to privatize my response to Jesus any longer. I don't have a different person on Sundays to on Tuesdays. He's calling us to live so fully connected to him. We're unashamed anymore of what anybody thinks. I might say, Jesus is Lord, but then I get embarrassed. I want to crucify that and say, Jesus Christ, you are my Lord. And gloriously, unashamedly, I will declare you from the rooftops. So in a moment, I'm just going to ask, if that's you, would you stand? And then I'm going to ask a second question, which is if you need to reconnect 
or recommit. Don't stand up for the first time, but in the second time, I'm going to ask you to stand. Okay? So, Lord, thank you. Thank you for your presence here. Let's just connect with him in our hearts for a moment, shall we? We've talked about your cross, but what was it like when we stood outside your tomb and you burst forth carrying eternal life? What was it like when you breathed on your church? Oh, Jesus, we love you. We worship you. We love you, love you, love you, love you, love you. Thank you, Jesus.